0: You are listening to WMUA 91.1 in Amherst. Welcome to Undercurrents. My name is Jenny. I'll be with you for the next half hour, along with my co-host, Rebecca. Our guest today is Dr. Arthur Keene, who's a professor emeritus uh, from UMass Amherst. Um, Arthur was in the Department of Anthropology. One of his research specialties, which we're going to actually exploit, over the next half hours, next half hour, one of his research specialties include community service learning. Now, UMass has benefited in several ways um, from this um, inclination of arts. For example, he founded the alternative spring break program, and was the co-director of Citizen Scholars Progressive at UMass. He is also the editor director, contributor of the Amherst Independent. Um, So, Arthur, welcome to Undercurrents.
1: Thank you, Jenny. Good to be here.
0: We want to come back to this at the end, but since I mentioned the independent, just tell listeners briefly what that is.
1: Okay. We're known as the INDY, I-N-D-Y, which stands for the independent. Uh, We are a free online news source, uh, typically comes out weekly, but occasionally we publish breaking news. We operate as a collective. There are, I think, yes, six editors on the editorial board. Uh, We have about 20 regular contributors. We publish about 20 articles a week, focusing mostly on Amherst government. Uh, We identify ourselves as critical, independent, and progressive. Uh, We were founded in December of 2018 as an effort to keep an eye on the new form of government in Amherst when Amherst moved from town meeting government to a small council. And the idea was to monitor what was going on and to try and promote transparency in local government.
0: Wow. Okay. Well, that's a whole other conversation, which I'm going to resist going in that direction. I invited you to speak right now um, some small number of days before the presidential election because I noticed um, an opinion piece that you had written or a book review that had to do with 39 days to stop a possible coup. Now, it's not, a precise, uh, it's not a precise rendition of the title, but that seems to me to be a very important thing to talk about now. Can you tell listeners what this is about?
1: Okay, well, anybody who watched the debate last night knows that uh, Trump is not planning for a peaceful transition. Indeed, he's um, not doing much in the way of campaigning anymore. Uh, And if he plans to not um, surrender power peacefully, uh, we need to be prepared. Prepared for that outcome, so there, there are a whole lot of things going on. There are all kinds of efforts in place to alter uh, the results of the election and Failing that, Trump has said that if if in spite of all their efforts to suppress the vote and steal the vote and everything else he 's not declared the winner, then he intends to litigate the outcome of the election and um, have his Supreme Court award him. The presidency.
0: Okay, let's go back a step. Um, can you fill in a little bit more on some examples of actions that have been done to suppress the vote?
1: Right. Sure. So th- there's a, in my view, there's a six pronged strategy that Trump and the GOP have adopted to um, make it very difficult for Biden to get elected. Uh, the first prong is voter suppression that's been a staple of the GOP for decades. It includes purging the voting rolls uh, of tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of voters. It includes c- closing polling places in democratic precincts. Recently, um, an election in Milwaukee during the the uh, pandemic involved closing i i think I think they originally had two hundred sixty voting places and that was reduced to eight. Um, And that happens, especially in precincts of color, long lines, malfunctioning voting equipment, all of that serves to suppress the vote. Second prong is voter intimidation. Uh, This is also a staple, but Trump has taken it to a new level. We saw a few weeks ago when early voting started in Fairfax, Virginia, that large crowds of Trump supporters showed up and blocked the entrance to, um, to the polling place. We can only imagine what, this will, what form this will take uh, after Trump called on his white supremacist supporters to stand by. Uh, the third prong is ballot suppression. Uh, there are many ways that the GOP works to toss ballots out and they've taken that to a new level this year. Uh, ballots are thrown out for technicalities that include uh, non-matching signatures, which is a staple in Florida, Uh, not returning ballots in privacy envelopes, which is a criterion for disqualification in Pennsylvania, the absence of a notarized signature, which is criterion for disqualification in Wisconsin, and then disqualifying for ballots that have been received late. And the new assault on the U.S. Postal Service, which has dramatically slowed down service across the country, um, is a deliberate strategy to make sure that ballots don't show up in time. All right, I got Three more prongs, you wanna hear them?
0: Yes, we do.
1: All right, the fourth prong is hackable voting machines which are manufactured by the companies Dominion and ES&S. These were notorious in the recent gubernatorial election in in Georgia that may have flipped as many as a million votes. Uh, The machines flip votes the machines can change tallies. They are connected to the internet. And so they can be easily hacked and they are non-auditable. Uh, and uh, just last week, I think, they were going through tests in Georgia. Uh, they found that the machines, machines were consistently flipping votes. And so they stopped the tests. And um, attorneys Jenny Cohn and Marilyn Marks, and the journalist Greg Palast have written extensively about the dangers that these machines pose. Um, And these are distributed widely in swing states like Georgia and Pennsylvania. So so that's a threat that's kind of flown under the radar, but people have been complaining about it since the 2016 election. The fifth prong is foreign interference. Uh, We know that the Russians are engaged more actively than they were in 16 uh, lots of dissemination of false information. So the rumor that Joe Biden was using an earpiece during the debates exploded on Facebook yesterday, uh, hours before the debates. And this is probably coming from foreign troll farms, but we really don't know the extent of foreign interference because the GOP blocked the investigation of how the Russians interfered in the 16 election. Um, And then the sixth prong are all the plans for post-election interference. And I I, I went into this in in my column in the Indy. All kinds of plans from sending slates of rogue electors to the Electoral College. Biden wins a state, but a Republican governor sends a different slate of electors to the Electoral College. This happened in the infamous uh, election of Rutherford B. Hayes in 1876, where... Democrat, Tilden, won four states, but governors of those states sent um, rogue electors.
0: Just for some clarification on that, um, so is it a state-by-state thing who actually sends the electors? So I'm kind of thinking, how can that happen? How can different electors be sent?
1: Technically, technically it's, it's apparently in the hands of the state legislatures. Uh, to determine the electors. And except for the election of 1876, it's been a given that the candidate who wins the state gets to send their slate of electors. Uh, but that's an opening. And apparently in Pennsylvania, um, the president of the state Senate has been in discussions with the Trump campaign about the possibility of sending a Trump-oriented slate, regardless of the outcome of the election. So it's one possibility of many. Uh, A greater possibility is to go to the courts and ask them to toss out the votes. And Trump has been, you know, ranting about how um, mail-in ballots are fraudulent, and they've been discarding ballots uh, that are for Trump. And the, the Ballots can't be trusted and the courts need to throw them out. And so they're not being coy, they're not being subtle, they're telling us, you know, this is something they hope to do is disqualify ballots. And because Democrats have been voting um, by mail at a rate, I don't know what it is, it's three or four times what Democrats have been requesting mail-in ballots at a much greater rate than Republicans. And, And so there's a concern on the part of the GOP. And who knows whether the courts would intervene and toss out the ballots or not. But Trump has said this, you know, that that he expects the ballots to be disqualified and expects his his justices to support him. Um, And Ted Cruz has said, Ted Cruz said this a few times yesterday, Lindsey Graham has said that he expects the courts to deliver a victory for Trump. And so I think they're saying this out loud. I think we have to take it seriously. Um, And then, and then of course, there's the extreme, which is if Trump doesn't get the support that he wants, he could always suspend the constitution, declare martial law in the face of violence that his supporters are expected to engage in. Um, But, just because an election is over with this guy doesn't mean that it's over and so we have to worry about post-election um, you know interference or claiming an illegitimate result or something like that so these are the dangers that face us and and we have to be prepared to contest them
2: so okay and um, So I just wanted to briefly mention the National Popular Vote Interstate Compact, which I think 15 states have already signed on to. Most recently, I think it's on the Colorado ballot, Um, uh, I think Proposition 113. And this is looking down the pipeline, definitely not applying to this election. Um, But what are some of the reforms that you think could take place eventually? to mitigate this sort of back and forth between uh, the Democratic and Republican Party um, over uh, tampering with elections and election interference and the integrity of our elections. Are there any long-term reforms?
1: I, I, I think that's one. Um, and you, you know basically the aim of that is to get rid of the electoral college and to have yeah. the president elected by whoever wins Whoever wins the popular vote becomes the president. And I think that's important. And I think getting rid of electronic voting machines and replacing them with audible hand-marked ballots uh, is another. It not only protects the integrity, but it's so much cheaper. Uh, I think there are lots of things that that we can be doing, and I think those were good conversations to have until right now. And right now, the the threat is so... Imminent and urgent, and grave. That I think we need to put all those considerations aside for a month or two, and get a legitimate outcome. And then, and then we have to fix the electoral system. Uh, so I mean the, you know, the Republicans have been gaming it since Nixon, and I think that has to stop. And I think. Hopefully, if we survive this election and we avoid the descent into fascism and dictatorship, uh, then the grave threat, that threat that we faced will motivate us to come back and consider all these reforms. But I, you know, I think the threat is so so grave right now that that we have to deal with the imminent threat, and and I think we have to watch for. You know i mean one of the things the strategy they used to get bush elected in in 2000 was to stop the counting in that case it was recounting of ballots but Barr has hinted that that he he thinks there's all kind of illegitimacy in the mail-in ballots and that doj may intervene to stop the counting of the votes and and i think we have to be prepared for that and you know, I mean, it's not clear to me what we can do other than to take to the streets and push back against illegitimate actions.
0: So, Art, that was my next question is, what are the ways that people are or perhaps should be preparing?
1: Okay. Well, I think, you know, there are two stages to this, and there's before the election and after the election. And we (laughs) keep... I can't emphasize enough how important it is to do the stuff before the election. I mean, if they intend to steal it, then they're gonna try and steal it no matter what. But if Biden wins in a landslide, it makes their task much harder. And it also advertises their illegitimacy. So I think first off, people have to vote. And if they're not registered to vote, there's still time And, and, you know, you can look that up online, where you can register, and it varies by state. Uh, if people are going to vote, it's better to vote early if they can, because the plan is to create all kinds of chaos on Election Day. Uh, if people can vote in person, that's better. Uh, so if you can, vote in person, vote early. If you vote by mail, consider using a Dropbox instead of the U.S. Postal Service. Our Dropbox in Amherst is in front of Town Hall. Um, people need to attend, if they're going to vote by mail, people need to, to attend to all the technical re- requirements, sign where you're supposed to sign, make sure your signature is the one that matches what was on your voter registration. Cause that's grounds for disqualification. So we can do all these things and we can help others to do the same, you know, get uncle Fred and aunt Ethel who haven't voted in decades out there encourage friends and colleagues and and neighbors who don't usually vote to vote this time as if their democracy depended on it because it does um and don't assume just because we're in massachusetts and it's a blue state and biden's going to be fine here that your vote doesn't matter we need a large margin of victory to prevent the coup so those are things we can do before um what happens if trump claims an illegitimate victory. Well, I think we have to be prepared to take to the streets. Um, you know, in my um, in my column, I referred to uh, political scientist Erica Chenoweth's three and a half percent rule. When three and a half percent of the population, that's 12 million people in the United States, take to the streets and they stay there, it is hard for a government to sustain its rule. And so we need to prepare to Go into the streets and and disrupt business as usual with with mass demonstrations, with general strikes, with work stoppages, with with whatever actions are necessary to to make business as usual impossible. And and we'll have to look to leadership. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm just an old guy sitting up here at Lake Wyola trying to avoid getting COVID-19. Uh, but there will be people who will help us um, figure out where we need to be and where we put our bodies. And there are groups like, you can look them up online, Choose Democracy uh, and Indivisible. And and others fail me at the moment, but they're out there. And and their conduct- Choose Democracy is doing national trainings now to help us figure out how to mobilize if an illegitimate victory is claimed. And and, but one thing we can do is we can all ask ourselves, what will I do if the election is tossed, if the ballots are thrown out, if the courts um, decline to count the ballots and name Trump president? What will I do? And I personally, you know, hope to go to D.C. where where the action is going to be. But uh, and come out of hiding. But um, every one of us needs to ask and we can be asking each other. What commitment will you make if, if these people decide to kill democracy? Um, So I know you'd like something more specific, you know, but, but that's what we've got at the moment. That's what we've got to work with. And it's something we can do. And I I have to say that I've been heartened. There are so many organizations out there working now to get out the vote. Uh, I'm working with the Working Farm Families Party of Wisconsin and with a group called Working America, which works with working class voters. But, you know, they are all the standbys, move on, indivisible, swing left. Um, everybody I know is making calls and writing letters. And that's something we can all do, you know, 20 minutes a day, an hour a day, five hours a day, to get out the vote and create the landslide. And then there are the organizations like Choose Democracy that are planning for you know the horrible possibility uh, that democracy will be subverted. So we can get in touch with these groups, and and we can make a plan. And we all need a plan. Everybody should be thinking about it. what's their plan. And we should be asking our our, our our housemates and friends and neighbors and colleagues, "What's your plan?" Everybody needs to make a plan.
2: All right, I have uh, one last question for you. So we mentioned earlier the long lines in the Georgia primary. Um, uh, Some political pundits were saying that uh, Joe Biden yesterday was speaking directly to swing state voters in Wisconsin and Wyoming and Pennsylvania and North Carolina. Um, But your publication, specifically the Indy, focuses primarily on Amherst politics. And um, as we know in Massachusetts, I think fewer than 10% of registered voters are registered as Republicans in Massachusetts. Um, and we, we still have a long way to go as a blue state, but not necessarily a progressive state. Um, right now in our state legislature, we're looking at the Roe Act. Um, we have uh, ranked choice voting on the ballot this year. Even though we might necessarily not be facing an imminent threat of uh, voter suppression in our state, what can you say about the political landscape of Massachusetts um, and what we should expect after this election um, or even following the primary elections that we had in our state?
1: yeah, again, you know that that that's a long conversation because there's much to be done in Massachusetts, uh, but I think we have to deal with the imminent threat first, so um Massachusetts, you know, if, if Trump gets another term, Massachusetts will not be untouched by the repeal of uh, the Affordable Care Act, by an assault on uh, equal marriage, uh, which is high on the agenda of the new Supreme Court nominee. And indeed, Trump has emphasized that that's a priority for his second term. Uh, Massachusetts will not be untouched by the, the threat to the economy. By uh, a failure to address COVID, which, as we know, is growing. Cases, case counts are up in Massachusetts. Case counts are up in Amherst right now. You know, we're up, we're up to 35 cases with that UMass cluster, um, and as a result, the schools are going to delay reopening. Uh, we've got a lot of imminent stuff that is going to impact us if if Trump gets another term. So I think I think we deal with the imminent threat. We all unite around combating that. Uh, and then once Biden's in office, we have to work on, on a progressive agenda, but first things first.
0: So, Art, I'd like to um, say the last couple of minutes of the show, we have about five minutes left, for talking about, keep on this track of what people can do um, would you like to say, like, for example, how people can get involved in the Indy? And that's like something great for students to be involved with.
1: Well, well I would. Uh, but I'd, I'd also like to say, you know, register to vote. Make sure you vote. Make sure you know, know where you can vote. And um, listen to what the GOP is saying and take the threats seriously. And then if we survive, we'd love to have people involved in this um, this all-volunteer collective project of um, reporting on what's going on in town. And the town certainly includes the campus. Um, we only have currently one reporter, one columnist covering the campus. That's the new student trustee, Tim Scalona, who we're very happy to have on board. Uh, But what happens on campus and what happens between the campus and the town is is important. And so we would love to have more writers from the campus. And people can check us out at www.amherstindy.org. And there's a contact page there, people interested in writing about goings-on on campus, particularly from a progressive slant, can drop me a note and I'm, I'm happy to have a conversation with them. Uh, much to be written about. Um, and, and so we'd like to hear from people.
0: Okay. Let, let me take that question in a slightly different direction. To get back to the emphasis, get out to vote, get your friends out to vote and your relatives, um, prepare yourself since both of you, Rebecca, my co-host, and Art, um, are much more knowledgeable about rapid communications via the internet than I am, are there ways that students can be working in that direction for making short for communicating beyond just like an article in the India a way that communicates through networks that students might read?
1: Do we want to pose that to Rebecca?
2: <laughs> sure, um, I know that a, a trend in Massachusetts, at least, um, has been, uh, has taken after the sort of marquee um, model. And there are plenty of online campaigns happening that you can join. Uh, on Twitter, for example, um, Yes, on, yes on question two is gaining a lot of traction among young people um, and there are plenty of phone banks going on to support, uh, to, to galvanize voters, to, um, to vote yes on question two and uh, bring ranked choice voting to Massachusetts. But there are also other causes um, that are worth our attention as well.
0: All right, thank you, Rebecca. And unfortunately, that brings us very close to the end of our discussion for today. Our guest has been Arthur Keene emeritus professor of anthropology at UMass and local organizer. Um, Let me reiterate that Art has suggested heavily that people check out the website, choose democracy. That's easy to remember, choose democracy. Um, One way to follow up on a lot of the ideas or events that we've been talking about um, in the last half hour. Um, So thank you very much for coming, for coming this this evening. It's actually still afternoon. Thanks very much for joining us. Um, you're, I guess that just about finishes up our show of undercurrents for today. You're tuned to WMUA ninety one point one in Amherst.